You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Michal Christopher Marian Radovich, PhD student of the Bucharest University of Economics. Political Periscope. We are meeting in Warsaw and you are here not by accident. We are uh, meeting, we had um, the third edition of the Generation Freedom Forum here at the Polytechnic University, uh, where we have gathered uh, similar like last year, almost 50 young leaders across Europe for the entire plenary sessions with discussions with uh, key speakers in tech, in energy and everything in between. And uh, tomorrow we have a full day of uh, workshops and trainings for, for us prepared. Is it your first time in Warsaw or you've been here before? I have been, it's my second time in Warsaw. Uh, last year we, I also had the pleasure to participate in the second edition of this uh, conference. It was a little bit of different format in a different place with different speakers and colleagues. Uh, it was an amazing experience. We had a really great time, learned a lot of stuff, uh, had the time to meet with locals and simply enjoyed it. So it's basically the second time. What happened there? What guests have you seen? What was the most uh, interesting for you? So it's organized by the under the patronage of the prime minister uh, with the central bank, the National Bank of Poland. State of Poland Foundation and a few other organizations. This day it's open to the public. I think it's uh, 300-400 participants from across Poland and across the world, plus the young leaders, the winners of the student competition basically, age 18 to 27. And we have a full day from 9 in the morning up until the night. Uh, we had uh, Steve Bosniak, uh, we had uh, some key people from the Ministry of Energy. We had a full list of speakers uh, discussing about uh, and the future of energy, the future infrastructure, AI technology development in the Trees Initiative, discussing uh, how we can create resilience together, how we can cooperate better our countries, uh, how the region as a whole can develop, basically. And for you, what's the role of the new technologies in the Free Seas? What practical use can you uh, make out of this conference? So in general, similar to the Trisys Business Forum in Bucharest and the Trisys Summit that happened a few weeks ago, this follow-up event uh, continues with the idea of gaining resilience, especially in emerging and disruptive technologies. So basically the main topic of discussion this year was uh, ethically developing new software solutions, new digital spaces that are safer, that are more inclusive, especially that empower young people, uh, how to develop and how to increase the practical use of technology in our life uh, through government channels, through digitalization of the process uh, to simplify our lives uh, and also to have the, the, these options uh, to empower a safe environment for minorities, for diverse groups and stuff like that and be, be simply be an inclusive space where we can work together, where we can, we can innovate, where we can implement ideas and so on and so forth. You mentioned the Free Seas Initiative. It's one of the events that's happening and there are more and more events in this regard, uh, I think. And uh, for you as Romanian, um, how important is the Free Seas Initiative? So in general, for me personally, as I've studied this uh, international relations my whole life, uh, 
Uh, I enjoy specializing a little bit on the Treacy's initiative, and I believe it's a good collaboration platform and a good uh, forum for discussion at a higher political level and create um, a more cohesion in in the second tier Europe, so to say it. Uh, where we can develop infrastructure, the new funds that have been developed now, the business associations that have been announced this year. Uh, and I believe the organization has really grown throughout the years, have really developed into something that can uh, have a practical application in the daily lives of people, impact uh, how we commute between our countries, how we collaborate, how we do business together, how we uh, have exchanges, how we have shared research and stuff like that. Um, And in Romania, in general, it's uh, it's seen as a great way to participate as a not necessarily an alternative to the European Union, but more as a complementary platform that uh, help us have a voice together, uh, have Eastern Europe uh, on the map, uh, showcase that we can do things, that we are important, that we have leaders, that we can innovate, that uh, Eastern Europe basically has a future, has prospects, and and together we can work to to solve the commonality of challenge, challenges that we face. As you said, you're specialized in the FreeSIS initiative, but is it a known topic in Romania among politicians, among uh, people in media? So in general, I would say the media and the people who specialize in the area, in the high politics and uh, the ministries, the, the administration, the presidential administration, they know about it, they support it. Uh, Uh, it was it was a uh, full of people at the business forum, uh, full of meetings. There, there is a huge interest into this area in the higher class and higher politics. Uh, but to be honest, I believe it's similar in all the cases across uh, the 13 Treacy's uh, initiative members. Uh, the larger public still lacks a knowledge uh, and especially a deep understanding of what the Treacy's mean. Sometimes they might just hear it. It's a meeting in Warsaw. It's these people. There is photo in Instagram. But uh, I don't think the common people, they, they realize what's happening, why is it important, why it matters, why those speeches, those documents, those joint communiques uh, have a many meaning for them. And I think it's going to take years for that to, to, to become a widely known thing. And do you think it is necessary for broad audience to know about FreeSIS initiative? Uh, should they be familiar with uh, economic uh, infrastructural aspects of, of it? I believe it's similar to to the way the EU portrays itself if uh, we spend money, if we put efforts into tackling these issues and doing something together as uh, states and as people. I believe it's important and it's it's normal of you as a citizen to to have a rough idea what's happening, uh, know what's coming, how you can use these opportunities and at least better understand uh, uh, what's going on in the international stage because at the end of the day, the international stage is going to also affect your daily routines. It's going to change the way you do things. It's going to change norms and so on and so forth. So it's it's good to know about Visegrad. It's good to know about Tracy's initiative, because nine about all these things that happen around you at the end of the day. FreeSIS initiative started as a presidential initiative. It then moved uh, to the level of governments also. But uh, And of course, there is an NGO sector, uh, which is quite active, especially in Poland. Uh, I don't know how is it in in Romania and in other countries, but in Poland, this NGO sector is quite, uh, quite active in this regard. Uh, but uh, do you think the FreeSIS initiative has potential to be brought to 
different levels, self-government, local government, uh, I don't know, some other institutions, uh, universities. Uh. There have been great talks, uh, including at the summit, including at the Generation Freedom today, um, about bringing the treaties to the business level, to the NGO level, to the smallest denominator at the end of the day, simply because um, large infrastructure projects can be done between the governments, between the ministers, economic matters can be dealt uh, at the highest level. But at the end of the day, when you when you want to do projects, when you want to do exchanges, when you want to do all the smaller things that, that aggregated, they really make an impact. Uh, you must have partners and you must collaborate with the, the the smallest structure, the smallest local authorities. And I believe that the business association that was announced this year, the, the, the TRICES Initiative Business Association, it's going to be a great step forward towards coagulating this business sector in in different uh, in different dimensions in different areas and bringing them together to 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 co-work and to produce higher output into the market and be more competitive. Don't you think that the FRISIS initiative requires some form of institutionalization, some uh, permanent office uh, to end this work from summit to summit and uh, fill this time in between? So as you said earlier, there are a lot of uh, differences across countries. For instance, Poland is it's highly involved here. Uh, especially in the NGO level, whereas Romania is more in the business and you have this discrepancy as a countries. So really the natural step further, which was also discussed all the time for, for quite a few years now, uh, and there were some rumors about a, cham a joint chamber of commerce being the next step and uh, having a physical uh, headquarters, permanent headquarters for the investment fund. Um, it's a necessary step for the organization to grow. It has reached a maturity. It has reached a level where where it does so many things and you have so many processes that is no longer sustainable to just have these talks, have the joint communication, have one presidency after the others, simple guidelines, some strategies with no permanent structure, with nothing to, to anchor everything and monitor the processes and monitor what's happening. And I believe that uh, the next logical step in the in the next maybe two three years would be to have uh, uh, maybe just the investment fund, maybe the joint chamber of commerce, maybe an NGO association, uh, maybe in the education sector, no one knows, but uh, anchored physically with a permanent headquarters, permanent staff, and uh, coagulating all the the processes that are there and just co-working every single day to to make things better in the structure. Right now, you're doing your research in uh, Serbia, in Belgrade. This year, we've had the second country joining the FRISIS initiative as, uh, as an associated uh, partner. Uh, it was Moldova after Ukraine. Do you think the FRISIS initiative, in one form or another, is also the future for Serbia? Do you think that Serbia has a future in the European Union? So in general, the future of uh, Serbia in the FRISIS initiative is closely tied to its future in the European Union. Moldova and Ukraine have done great steps in, in this uh, area and uh, they have always been supported into joining the organization. And there were actually some talks uh, by the Romanian Chamber of Commerce uh, a few months back. They had a joint declaration with the, with the Ministry of Economy and the Joint Chamber of Commerce from, from Serbia, where we said that we're going to support their uh, adhesion to the TRICES initiative. But uh, up until they make uh, significant progress in the reforms and they make significant progress in joining the European Union, uh, and that's highly dependent on the political climate that's a bit delicate in Serbia at the moment. 
um, there are no there are not going to be any progresses in the treaties front also. By this delicate climate, I understand uh, the issue of Kosovo, uh, which is probably the main uh, thing that's stopping Serbia from joining the EU or at least uh, being on this path to join the EU. Uh, what do you think are the perspectives of solving the, the issue between Kosovo and uh, Serbia? So in terms of solving the issue, it's uh, something that has taken quite a few decades to end up almost at the same spot as it was uh, when, at the beginning, uh, with the recent clashes at the borders, with the recent manifestations in Belgrade, in Kosovo also. In, um, uh, I, I don't think the, the population is ready to accept it. I really believe that uh, Serbia has other priorities at the moment, from the economic uh, slowdown they are facing, uh, to the corruption scandals, to some scandals with the with the with the opposition's party, to some un civil unrest that has uh, grown throughout the years, especially with the recent shooting, the the Pride March problems, the the protests that have degenerated into basically an anti-government movement at the end of the day. Uh, so I think they need to solve these things before they can actually engage in good neighborhood relations and have like strong functioning institutions that can negotiate with Kosovo and reach an agreement that's beneficial for the both parts uh, for the both parts and then this can only be done if both countries are stable both governments are stable anchored by the people supported by the people and then of course you have the EU you have uh, the Treaties Initiative, uh, another regional organization, getting involved and helping them mediate this conflict. But up until they they solve their internal uh, matters, uh, I don't think it's a priority in the agenda at the moment. We know from the speeches of the presidents at the end of the summit in Bucharest that actually Western Balkans are possible future uh, direction of expansion of the Free Seas Initiative. Well, expansion maybe is not the best word, but enlargement, I would say, uh, of this initiative. Uh, but uh, they still have uh, quite, a quite a long way uh, in front of them. So when it comes to the Western Balkans, the Treaties Initiative simply follows uh, closely the directives and the strategies proposed by the European Union, the External Action Service of the EU, the Council of Europe and everyone shifting focus to the Western Balkans to kind of counteract and counterbalance uh, the emission of tertiary reactors like Russia, China, Middle Eastern states and so on and so forth. Um, so that's a logical step. That's a geopolitical, geostrategic, logical step uh, in the treaties development because it's a, it's a, they they simply border a lot of the members in the treaties initiative. Um, but I believe real progress is gonna be made on a, on the similar pathway like the European Union one. So you're gonna have Albania, you're gonna have Montenegro, you're gonna have uh, North Macedonia getting ahead, while you you're gonna have Kosovo, Serbia. Uh, Bosnia lagging a little bit behind and stuff like that is going to develop hand in hand and it's going to be basically an in parallel, in tandem process that's going to happen with the Treaties Initiative and with the European Union. Just before the Treaties Initiative Summit, and the President of Romania, uh, Klaus Johannes, met with the President of Austria and uh, the President of Austria assured him that Austria will support Romania joining the Schengen and uh, 
do you think it's a real perspective? And in well, it it is a real perspective, but in uh, how much time? How much time? And uh, what countries are left to be convinced uh, for Romania to join Schengen? So the Schengen adhesion to of Romania. Uh, it's not necessarily a matter of the treaties, although there are declaration and that the position of the treaties is to support it because Bulgaria and Romania, they're members of it with Austria. Um, but the real problem here is uh, it's not a Romanian adhesion. It's a Romanian and a Bulgarian adhesion. It's, it, you, you need to have the agreement of the Schengen area on both countries, you, uh, different requirements, different methods, because... Um, now just Austria opposed it, but uh, we still had in the past and we still see some resentments or some critics uh, arguing about uh, uh, Bulgaria not having secure enough borders, about some problems in Romania also, about uh, the corruption level, about uh, different stuff. So realistically, I believe with all the support of the EU institutions and everything and with all the interventions of both states, uh, at maximum, we're going to see in the next few years because there are already talks internally to 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 reduce the borders in the between Romania and Bulgaria as a first step, like unilaterally, bilaterally between the two of them. Uh, and then we're going to wait and see if everyone agrees to it because you have Germany who's resistant to it. You have Denmark who has voiced criticisms over the past. Uh, you have Spain also voicing uh, some concerns about uh, this adhesion. So realistically, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe, maybe in autumn, we, we never know. Your country apparently has uh, dealt in far smoother way with a very hot issue right now with the grain uh, transit and grain import from Ukraine. Uh, Romania apparently reached uh, some uh, consensus with Ukraine on this topic, uh, which was uh, unable for Poland, Slovakia and Hungary uh, to reach. As a person from Romania, you have maybe a bit, uh, I would say, colder view on this topic in Poland. In Poland, it's very hot. It sparks controversies and strong emotions. Uh, some people are saying that it's uh, the end of our good relations with Ukraine. Some people are saying that it's our fault, other that it's Ukrainian fault. And uh, how do you see it? The debate about uh, the grains of Ukraine and the, the, the transit, the processing, the, the, the entering into the market at the end of the day, uh, I believe it's mostly a bilateral negotiation process. No matter the EU openness on this one, it's gonna at the end of the day, it's gonna be the decision of Warsaw. It's gonna be the decision of Budapest if they allow it of uh, Bratislava or Bucharest. Uh, and in general, the countries have shown some reluctance because uh, they are afraid of the the impact it can have economically on the agricultural sector, which is quite important in these countries at the end of the day. Um, they have voiced concern about uh, uh, the 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 quality of the grains because they are not on the EU standards, and I believe uh, it's it's at the end of the day it's a standstill. It's more of a negotiation coin. It's more of a leveraging their position to gain other aspects and other reconciliation measures with the EU, with uh, maybe NATO partners, with maybe Ukraine also ending up. Uh, uh, in, a, in a higher position and uh, actually putting themselves uh, in on the negotiation table 
because at the end of the day, they are going to pass through these countries. They're going to enter into the global market and uh, they're going to have to agree and let it pass through because otherwise we're going to face a high supply chain crisis on the food market and no one is going to allow that. So it's more of a power game. It's more of an intimidation. It's like in poker, you are playing your cards at the moment. Uh, we simply decided to go with an open hand. We simply decided in Romania to to let them through, uh, through our ports, to harbor them. Uh, since the beginning of the war, this was the position to to welcome the, the ships, to welcome the trains, uh, to build infrastructure around it, to support the massive import of goods into our ports. Uh, not necessarily just for the greater good of humanity, because at the end of the day, they are taxed. They pay for the for the transit. They pay for all these things. But uh, our position was always to to be open to it, to let them through. We never had uh, basically any opposition, real opposition on this matter coming from anyone in Romania. Next year, there is a possible revolt, I would say, in Romanian politics, because you are going to have all possible elections at the same time. Uh, I don't remember such situation in Poland, even this year, because of parliamentary elections, we moved the local government elections for the next spring. So we tried to avoid this kind of situation. But you are having this situation next year. And uh, what do you think will be the result? Will it be like a big shift, big change, uh, some revolutionary change? Or will it stay more or less the same? So what's concerning about uh, the next year election, because they are happening across Europe, you have them now, uh, but what's odd about Romania in this uh, in this sense is the fact that since the interbellum period, we never had a moment in history where we had local election, parliamentary election, and of course they give the government, and uh, presidential election, not to mention the Europarliamentary, at the same day, like Everyone in Romania is going to go to the polls. It's going to be technically three days of voting. In those three days, you have everything settled. Like after the, from Friday till Monday, you wake up with a different mayor, a different deputy that represents you, a different government and a different president. And it's the most interesting, the most difficult period in, since the, the revolution in Romania. Uh, and we already see hard campaigns. We already see newcomers to the scene. We already see uh, we we come after a period of uh, where the main two parties that have dominated the political scene in Romania they are already crumbling a little bit. They are already dropping in the in the in the polls. Um, we are seeing some fundamental change with. Uh, quasi-nationalist uh, party that emerged uh, a few years ago and has managed to grow to almost 30%, 20% in the in the polls. Uh, we're seeing new parties form every day, new, new coalitions, new alliance, uh, old people coming back to the country, uh, retired people from the politics just showing up and supporting uh, one person or another. Uh, so I believe the those results are really important. They're going to be really worrying because it might set the trend for Romania to to follow suit with the nationalist uh, platforms in Europe and follow suit with this uh, populist movement, which we never had uh, up until now. We never had uh, uh, these kinds of narratives, these kinds of uh, discussions up until this moment. Uh, and it's it's going to be an, a precedent. It's going to be it's going to be an exceptional election simply because uh, 
if one party manages to to gain the majority on all of these they basically we have a one party system at the end of the day and it's all going to be through the people going and putting the 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 ballots in the bin in in the in the bin and we end up with a we might end up with a one party system we might end up with a really diverse spectrum uh people worrying that we're not going to be able to have the majority we're going to have the end up like like bulgaria doing election after election after election with the governments crumbling one after the other and uh not being able to keep the majority to sustain the power and stuff like that so it's really complicated times thank you very much thank you this was the political periscope The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 